Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. What I have to do is, as a hockey player is be in front of the net or be around the net. Anderson up through with Messier at the flyer line. Lines up, shot, score! Anderson bounced one through Hextall, and it comes at 17.36. Here comes Anderson with Gretzky. Anderson right in. He scores! Glenn Anderson. Anderson shot, score! After I turned professional, and that was to win the ultimate the Stanley Cup, and we've accomplished that, and I think we can do that many more times. of the game. Brought to you by Touchback Safety, Alberta's number one training provider. This is Legends of the Game on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Only on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It is 12.33 in Edmonton. Brendan Escott with you and for the first time on this Legends of the Game series. It'll be myself conducting the interview, and I'm very pleased to have the uh, my inaugural experience with this uh, with with Glenn Anderson. Uh, Glenn joining me on the River Cree Resort <laughs> Casino Hotline right now. Appreciate you taking the time, Glenn. Uh, how are you doing today? Unbelievable. If this is your first time, so I get the rookie episode? Absolutely. So <laughs> Stoff will very, <laughs> very seldom relinquish that kind of control. So, uh, yeah, happy to have you on, Glenn. And I, let, let's just start from the beginning. So you're born on the West Coast. You're a Canadian through and through. Um, just tell me about what was your sort of introduction to hockey. How did this end up being uh, a part of your life back to, to when you were a kid? Well... I hated the game, and the first goal I scored was in my own net. But uh, uh, it, it was like any other child starting out with anything. It's a it's a, it's a process, and um, it, there was a lot of pain and agony that you have to get through before you get good. But I think it was because of the 1972 Summit Series where my parents went over to Russia. Um, that was kind of the turning point for me, where. Um, I saw the Russians and how good they were and how Canada represented themselves. And that was kind of my goal. I wanted to play against the best in the world, and I thought the Russians were. And I wanted to represent my Canadian heritage and uh, represent Canada and wear my Maple Leaf proud. And, you know, that's, to me, Glenn, that's a, that's a dream of so many athletes is to, to wear the, the Maple Leaf and for you, that seemed to be more of the dream than playing in the NHL. Is that fair to say? Uh, I would say that for sure, because everyone else was gunning for uh, like kind of what what's right in front of them. And I think that was the the kind of stands well for today's society is the fact that what's thrown in front of us, as far as the media is concerned, is kind of what we start to believe in. And and I think at that time in North America, all we saw. Uh, was the NHL and the only league to really get to and make. And as kids growing up, um, that was everyone else's goal. But I saw a completely different uh, picture and um, 
I went global right away when I was young, when I was 12. So you hated the 6 a.m. practices. You scored on your own net. Oh, yeah. You're having a difficult time falling in love with this game. So so you're saying that that 72 Summit Series and just being a spectator for that, that was the turning point for you into where you decided that this might actually be a career path? Well, it was it was a goal. So, you know, you, you kind of, um, growing up, you want to be able to set goals and um, affirmations and, and attain, attainable situations as much as possible and i think that at that point in time um you know 11 years old i was playing on a b team in peewee and then uh i guess you could say i graduated to an a team with the burnaby winter club where there's so many superstars that actually came out of there and so many hall of famers that came out of this small little uh club and hockey community out of burnaby it was uh, phenomenal we moved out of vancouver Moved into Burnaby. I quit for a year. Uh, my brother started playing again, and we got hooked up with another family, the Barry family. And um, they had a great success story, too, uh, with a couple of them turning pro. So, Glenn, you, you make the jump to the BCJHL for the 1977-78 season. You're playing for the Bellingham Blazers, and you absolutely tear up the competition in that league. So as much as, as you were, you're dying to be passionate about playing hockey you're you're wanting to represent canada you're setting all these goals there's got to be an element of you having the the natural skill to get there and of course part of your game was was the speed everybody knows about clan anderson and his ability to skate is that sort of when did that materialize for you in your career did you have that as a young player or did it take a little bit of maturing physically in order for you to acquire that attribute that took a while and um just so that everyone knows, I got cut from my first team that I tried out for in, in uh, junior, and it was the, at the time they were called the Penticton V, so I was spending um, summers up there when I was 14, teaching school up there, and they had a great program, as they still do today. Uh, it was kind of a filter system into the colleges and scholarships, and um, at that point in time was kind of the route that I wanted to take, the college route, because who knew? you know what was going to happen hockey was uh you know wasn't the forefront that's for sure there was other avenues one of them being on uh become a fisherman on my dad's boat we eliminated that right away <laughs> so the process <laughs> of elimination um kind of geared me up towards uh being stronger and um individually setting goals to become somebody else besides a fisherman and uh and uh, uh, work, but the work ethic was always there. But I got cut from a team, so very disappointing when you get cut and get uh, moved to another team in the same league, um, in which was Bellingham. And uh, just to prove everybody wrong, kind of, uh, I think I got 64 goals and 130 something points in 60 games, something like that. But um, uh, moving forward. Uh, ended up getting a scholarship to Denver University after that. Right, and that's, uh, just tell me about the process of that. Was that always the target team for you to go join collegiately, or were they the same hockey powerhouse back in that day that they've sort of become now? Um, they were, um, they were on the board, you know, D1, um, 
and uh, a, a great school to go to. So North Dakota was another uh, big school. Michigan was a big school back then. Minnesota uh, had a couple of teams with the Gophers and uh, Duluth. Um, and then um, you had Colorado College. So, uh, I mean, there was a bunch of different teams eastern and uh, western divisions but very competitive and i think because of the fact that uh, murray armstrong um a great canadian um played on the olympic program great coach um kind of filtered us down towards denver uh, one of the berry brothers were down there already doug berry who had who was actually uh drafted uh in the wha by um the Edmonton Oilers and played and signed the contract with the um, with the Edmonton team at that point in time, and then ended up going to uh, Germany and have a great career over there. Uh, but uh, I think he was down in Denver and kind of was a stepping stone into that direction and um, and a great hockey program down in the Denver Pioneers. Did you have offers to play elsewhere? Uh yeah, we had like three other scholarships that we could have uh, gone to, but I think what the key ingredient was, um, I played with um, Andy Hill and Ken Berry. Uh, Andy Hill was our center iceman, and Ken Berry was our, was our other winger. And uh, Kenny ended up playing for the Edmonton Oilers also in the pros. So um, uh, we all three of us were playing since we were 11 years old, 11, 12 years old at the Burnley Winter Club, and all three of us got scholarships down to Denver University. Two of us went on to play pro, and Andy Hill went on to have a great musical career where he has about uh, 15, 16 albums out. Incredible stuff. We're talking to Glenn Anderson as part of our Legends of the Game series for Touchback Safety. So uh, you go to Denver and that enables you at that time, Glenn, to join Team Canada and you get to represent your country here at the Lake Placid Olympics in 1980. Um, Just talk to me about finally getting the call to wear the Maple Leaf. You get to fulfill one of those goals you set. Well, that was the ultimate goal. And when we did, like... So basically, I'm having, you know, junior, first one year in junior, uh, picked it up, uh, went to Denver, one year in Denver, and then you, now you're playing for your country. Now you're, you're like, you've got to be one of the best in your country. And, and, um, and so I thought for sure uh, that I was going back to, um, back to Denver University because I, I had no idea that I was going to make that team. Uh, so... It was pretty funny when, because Father Bauer was our general manager at the time, and I remember my dad, Magnus, going in and having a meeting with him and says, okay, when can I take my boy back to uh, Vancouver? And he says, well, you get in your car and turn it around and head back because he's keep we're keeping him on our team. He's not going anywhere. <laughs> Fantastic. So, yeah, just uh, maybe elaborate a little bit on your relationship with Father David Bauer. I understand he was quite an influence on on you as a person and a hockey player. Well, I mean, he influenced practically everybody in the hockey world. And, and it wasn't just about sports and hockey. He, he kind of, brain not necessarily brainwash you but have an open eye to other options besides the nhl and even japan i mean he he says listen if you don't 
you know, make it pro. And, you know, there's other options where I can get you a contract in Japan. I can get you a contract in Europe. Uh, Kevin Primo and I went on after the first world championships after Gothenburg, Sweden, and negotiated a couple contracts in Switzerland. Uh, and I was still 19 years old at that point in time. So uh, he gave us an open eye, told us to be aware of uh, our surroundings and what's going on and politics. We touched so many subjects, and he influenced me in so many different ways and basically uh, molded me into a, uh, a professional and a human being on, on who I credit a lot of my uh, myself and my capabilities to him because of what he said and did for us. The 1980 Olympics in Lake Placid, as we're talking to Glenn Anderson right now, you're representing Canada. The main storyline uh, we all know is, is the, the miracle on ice. Um, but just your experience there as sort of an underdog team, if you will, uh, you guys ultimately did not make it to, to the, um, the gold medal game or anything like that. But just being a part of that experience and finally fulfilling that dream, uh, you've got influencers like Father David Bowery, Claire Drake there, uh, who must have been a tremendous influence on your game as well. So just, just kind of take me inside that locker room and, and the feeling that you had and being with those guys and finally getting to skate there. Well, once we kind of whittled it down to, I think there were 60 or 70 guys trying out that they gave tryouts to, and they kept bringing in guys on a regular basis. And we started camp in June. And um, a lot of guys were part of the program, Reinhardt and uh, Lori Boschman. They were uh, part of the program early, uh, but they their goals were to play in the NHL. And uh, I don't think they... They, their number one influence was, was Father Bauer being part of our program. And um, they played up to the point that after they got drafted, they ended up signing a contract. Uh, we could have used them at the point. They were pretty good players at that time. And um, we brought in other guys afterwards. Uh, Father Bauer kind of headed it up with uh, Claire Drake, Tom Watt, and Lauren Davis. Lauren Davis was a scout for the Edmonton Oilers forever. And he was the key uh, influence on me coming to uh, Edmonton. Um, he was the one that scouted me, coached me, and um, also helped me along along the way. And he was a big part of the Edmonton organization for years and years. And from there, the dress room was the room. We were living with the guys. We lived in Avco trailers where the Saddle Dome sits today in Calgary. Uh, bunk beds. My roommate was a guy by the name of Dave Highmarsh. Uh, he kind of influenced the change of the goalposts from full six-inch steel posts to the magnetic posts because he hit the posts in pro and uh, ended his career by b- blowing both of his knees out. So he was my bunk bed partner with uh, in these trailers, um, and. Uh, we showered and lived together for six months, so we became pretty close. Oh, no kidding. That's uh, the kind of camaraderie. You hear the stories about even junior um, or younger players, and it's the hotel rooms. It's the it's sitting in Subway for 20 minutes uh, after a game kind of a thing that really builds that camaraderie um, and, and probably enhanced by the fact that you guys are representing your country. Uh, Glenn, you get a chance to play against Alexander Yakushev, and I understand that was a player out of the Soviet Union that really captivated you when you were sort of growing up. Um, just tell me about that experience. Well, I, I think it's like, you know, anything when you get to play against the best of the world, you're kind of like 
any child growing up, you're looking at these icons of of people and sports figures, and you kind of go, "Wow, it's amazing that you step into it." But you really want to prove your worth and that you're you deserve to be in this category and playing against, in your opinion, uh, the best in the world. And kind of goes like when I stepped on the ice with Wayne Gretzky or stepped on the ice with Gordy Howell, the same kind of scenario where you're just in awe and shock. All right, Glenn, we're going to press pause here on this interview for a moment. We'll come back and we'll get more into your career with the Oilers. We've set the table. We're going to take it in a different direction when we return. It is Brendan Escott steering the ship today through the Legends series on Oilers Now. This is Legends of the Game on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Only on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Special thanks to our guest here on the Legend Series this week, Glenn Anderson, for hanging out on the phone on hold through the break. Uh, Glenn, let's get back into it here. So we've talked about your career leading up to your time uh, putting on Orange and Blue for the first time. But before that, there was a decision to be made because the national team folds and then you're weighing the options of going back to school to Denver for another year or turning pro with the Oilers. What was that decision process like? Or... um going to Europe. So there was, we negotiated the first contract was in Switzerland uh, with Kevin Primo and, um, and then came back. So we had that in the pocket, um, turning pro or going back to school. So we had a couple options that we could, could uh, go to. And in my career at that point in time, I said, which is going to better my hockey career? Um, and the window that we have as an athlete to perform at the highest level. So I opted out to play uh, pro. I, I don't think I signed a contract till right before training camp with Edmonton and then um, uh, signed in the early 80s. So we were like full tilt right into it. And coming off of the Olympic program, it was interesting because of the fact that we are so trained and well-conditioned uh, the way the athletes are today, um, they they use training camp to get into shape. Um, in the Olympic program, we were using the uh, we trained all year round, so that's it made a huge difference. Do you credit that for your ability to transition to the NHL quite quickly and 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 maybe even have the leg up in terms of your skating ability? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, basically, the year before we were playing against the pros, so the Czechs, the Russians. The Swedes, the uh, Finns, I mean, they were, you know, pretty much, you know, in the pro category. So, um, and you're playing at the elite uh, top eight teams in the world, um, definitely, um, and the speed game. So it was more a finesse speed game, bigger rinks, more room to maneuver, uh, more room to be creative. And I think that's basically really gave me a, a pretty good heads up coming into camp uh, first year in 80 with the Edmonton Oilers. So you know you're going to be teammates with the likes of Wayne Gretzky, of course. Uh, Mark Messier, I believe Paul Coffey was part of that same draft class for you in 1979. Uh, at what point in your mind did you sort of realize that this this could be the beginning of something special? Just knowing that Wayne was on the team was enough, or did it take a little bit more? Was it something more like the chemistry in the room? Well, it was way more um, because the because of the fact that basically in four, the the 
previous four years, I changed teams every year. So I was on a different team, and now I'm trying to make another team. So on all those teams, I was trying to make the team. There was no way that, I, you know, I'm going in there, oh, I've made this team. It's like a no-brainer. I, I never had that attitude. And, I, I mean, until even like four or five years pro, um, I was still going in there with the attitude, I've got to be the best I can be to be to make just to make the team and then, you know, go from there. So looking around the room and the, and the pros that we did have in our dressing room, um, it was a process of uh, making the team and then getting the room right with the right characters and the right bunch of guys. And I mean, basically the orchestrator of uh, the conductor of all that was uh, Glenn Sather, bringing a bunch of young teenagers and putting them into a room and believing in them over a period of time. Part of that, though, had to be some veteran insulation. So who were some of the guys that were, were a part of that team um, with more experience that helped the group gel? Well, your captains um, are usually your the guys that bring everybody together. And my first captain was uh, B.J. McDonald, Blair McDonald. And um, uh, he did not last very long <laughs> as a teammate and got traded like I think halfway through the season to Vancouver. So at that point in time, I realized that it was a business and uh, cause he was one of our better players and, um, and uh, Mr. Sather uh, traded him off to Vancouver and then Lee Fogelin became our captain and brought the guys together. So, um, you know, more experienced guys, guys that have been around the block a little bit, um, teaching us younger guys uh, um, what it takes and what we need to do to become champions. So you make the transition. As you said, you'd been playing against pros, and you come onto the NHL ice surface. Was the game different in some aspects for you when, when you made the, the transition to the NHL? Well, you're playing yeah, at least 90 games a year. So you've got 10 to 12 exhibition games, and then you've got you're playing two or three times a week. And I hadn't done that in my career yet, so it was always a training process. So as far as learning, that was the biggest um, change in my career is, is how to play in all these different buildings and that amount of games and practice every day at the same time. So. Um, you're on the ice way more than I had ever been uh, previously, except for the Olympics when we were doing two-a-days. The Oilers training camp, we were doing two-a-days and um, uh, the amount of ice time. And then once the season started and the guys were into full uh, game mode, uh, then it tailed back and you concentrated on the games. But that first year of, of learning all of that up till Christmas time was was very crazy and hectic and I even tried to go back to school at the U of A which was kind of an idiotic thing by me <laughs> to uh, even try that because it was there was no chance I was I was behind I go away on a road trip and I come back a week later and it was like it was um, teaching a new class all over again so it was way too difficult oh that's hilarious and that must give you an appreciation for what student athletes deal with even in the modern day right uh, it's it's uh, it, it is very difficult to uh, carry two uh, 
basically it's two full-time jobs at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I can uh, definitely attest to that. Just having worked around it, I haven't been a student athlete myself, Glenn. But uh, uh, listen, I do want to get more into the particulars of the career. Uh, you know, you're one of only seven guys to win all five of those cups with the Oilers. And I do want to get your thoughts as well on uh, life outside of the Oilers uh, after your career. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. It is 1.05 in Edmonton. Hour two of Oilers Now brought to you by Digitex. Don't spend your valuable time meeting with door-to-door sales reps. Your all-in-one convenient location is digitex.ca, Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology and software. You can keep those texts coming at 630-630 on our Heartland Ford text line, not your small town dealership with a huge new state-of-the-art facility. Experience the difference of Heartland Ford. Let's get right back into it with our guest on this week's Legends of the Game installment presented by our friends at Touchback Safety, Glenn Anderson, rejoining me. Glenn, appreciate you holding through the news break there. Let's let's get into some Oilers hockey here. So it's uh, just the 1980-81 playoffs. You guys upset Montreal, a 3-0 series sweep, and then you go on to face the Islanders, Trottier, Bossy, and Billy Smith. I got to bring that name up, of course. So uh, talk to me about just you knocked off Montreal, and that had to be kind of a milestone for you guys. But then you go on to face the juggernaut Islanders. And, and what was that experience like first making the playoffs there? Well, the, um, it, it was, I mean, getting, getting there is one thing. And then uh, starting the new season, basically, uh, it's a higher level. And the, uh, the uh, Islanders are, are, you know, riding high on a, on a kite and um, well coached and very diversified throughout their lineup. I mean, they've got uh, John Tonelli, Butch Goring. Um, they've got uh, Langevin on defense, jo- Johansson, um, Potvin. There, I mean, there was more to their team than just a couple of guys with Bossy and Trache and Billy Smith. But uh, championships are won by playing great defense and having all 20 guys perform at their highest level. I, I do want to just touch quickly on Billy Smith since we've we've brought him up. You guys stylistically contrasted incredibly in the sense that you drove to the net hard with reckless abandon in the opinions of some, and Billy Smith was a guy who didn't tolerate that sort of thing. Obviously, a number of documented run-ins. Uh, what was what was it like going through that and knowing that sort of rivalry? And where are you guys at now, if I may ask? Um. I love Billy. <laughs> it's, you know what's really shocking is you don't you know the hatred and uh, and uh, the passion for the games. If you weren't com- competitive, you wouldn't be professional athletes uh, in any sport whatsoever. So I love the competitiveness. I like to play against the best of the best. And um, Billy Smith was uh, one of those guys that was very competitive and sometimes over competitive. So. Uh, like his stick came into play a few times that uh, he wanted a little more room than uh, than what we were offering, and um, my knees took the brunt of those punishments. <laughs> 
and that's something that you just would never see in the modern NHL, right? That's they've taken that kind of thing completely out. But I think in the the eyes of a lot of uh, men, a lot of people, Glenn, that's what made hockey hockey back in the day. Is that fair to say? Well, I mean, it it was it, it was a turning point. I like throughout the um, uh, the eras of hockey. Um, I mean, the game changes, the rules change. Uh, every decade, you're going to have, you know, changes of uh, speed, uh, the red line taken out, the calls, all kinds of things come into play. So the NHL overall is trying to make it a better game. Back then, um, it was the turning point of the 50 Cups and uh, the era of, uh, basically broad street bullies of uh, of what was transpiring in the early 70s the 80s was more of a transition game that uh, where we regroup and speed started to come into play um, especially with our hockey team 1982-83 you guys have a few years of experience gelling as a group uh, establishing yourselves as individual powerhouses um and you, you end up losing the cup final, and that's something that you have specifically cited as a turning point in what sparked the dynasty. Why was why was losing that so important to you guys? Well, it wasn't just then. Um, I think it was the whole learning process on how to handle um, after you did lose. So when we lost, I mean, the Oilers lost to the Flyers in '80. 81, you lost to the Islanders. 82, we lost to the uh, L.A. Kings, the Miracle on Manchester. That was a beauty. <laughs> um, then uh, 83, we lost to the Islanders again in the final. So, I mean, it's not just it's a process of getting there, but it's also you got to realize uh, the pain and agony that you have to go through to even just get there. And getting there was never satisfying enough for us and our team because we knew we were going to eventually win. Um, we had a great um, all-star team. We had 10 guys that could play uh, in all-star games and probably the best players in the world. So it was just a matter of go- suffering through those losses and learning from them and then adapting them to the following years and become a dynasty. With that being said, then, there was never any doubt amongst you guys that you had the ability to get it done. There was never, uh, maybe this isn't going to fulfill its potential. You always knew that there was going to be a day where you hoisted that Stanley Cup. 100%. There is no doubt in our mind. Um, I mean, we believed in it so much and believed in each other. Um, I got to emphasize the fact that um, we became family and with family and closeness of friends and, and family around you, you can practically accomplish anything because they reiterate the fact of confidence that could be lacking at times when it's most needed and how to fight through adversity. And our team was strong enough and built uh, mentally and physically to be the best in the world and and we proved that several times over we've got glenn anderson on the line right now as part of our legends of the game series and glenn uh most of our listeners will know through and through you were one of the most clutch performers uh in the playoffs and big moments and big games doesn't seem to matter when they needed something out of you you were able to deliver what 
in yourself allowed you to perform at such a high level in the moments where you were needed most? I think it's just the, uh, the as a as a child, you know, even like winning championships as um, a twelve-year-old, you know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. I was winning uh, BC championships and um, and tournaments back even back then, and um, you know when they turn turn to someone to get that clutch goal or uh, that tying goal or or um, how to win, I think it was a learned condition. And um, throughout the years of my career, that's what I was kind of geared for and and um, and wanted to do. I mean, it's all about uh, uh, the process and 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 getting there. But once you get there, how do you take that extra mile to be the best of the best? Did you take a sense of pride, uh, maybe even specifically amongst your teammates, and being that guy that could be relied on when needed? Yeah, consistently um, loved that moment in time um, when the bigger the game, the more pressure that was put on me and my teammates. Uh, I, I kind of it was it's what I wanted. I wanted that moment and. Um, where I saw some other guys kind of like they shake and shiver and kind of go the other direction. I kind of go, I, it was to me, it was like a challenge and yeah, that's what I want. I want to be the best of the best and I want to be able to uh, score and be that difference maker. Give me the puck because I'm going to put it in the net. Articulate to me what it was like when you first hoisted the Stanley cup. If that's something that you could even put into words. I don't know. Everyone was on the ice at that point in time, but it's like <laughs> mayhem, and um, like it seemed like everyone—gloves, helmets, sticks, fans, uh, trainers, coaches, uh, scouting staff—there was like everybody on the ice at that time. So, as far as hoisting it up, uh, uh, it—it was kind of one of those things where, yeah, I've done it once but now let's do it again type of thing and uh, and we knew that we had that capability because our team was um, was full of all-star it was an all-star cast basically at the end of the day and so much fun to be around uh, from the top to the bottom we, we just enjoyed each other's company uh, that dressing room was, was our threshold and our privacy uh, behind those doors and when it came to crunch time, we all knew what we had to do, and everyone had a job, and uh, we all went out and did it and played for each other. We weren't individuals, that we played for the guy beside beside us, and um, we won together. And defense wins championships, and 20 guys in that locker room along with everyone else. Even in, in now, you know, you go into the um, – marketing department into the Oilers offices and I mean everyone is part of that championship team and um, it's a lot of work and it's not just what happens on the ice it's it filters down to the whole organization did you understand that notion when you were a player or did it take some time away from the game and and off the ice to understand that it really takes that community to to breed a Stanley Cup champion no because uh, I, I, we were, we all had charities, and we were all part of uh, uh, the community, and that's what um, 
I think made us is that we were, I, I mean, Edmontonians thought they were part of our family, and that's what we wanted. We wanted that feeling of jumping out in the community. We wanted to be part of the community, part of the charities, part of the work that goes on, and and the dedication that it takes to be a champion and city of champions. Like, we wanted that. We wanted the, the, the fans to be part of it, and they were. They were, like, they treated us so well, and we were so proud and, and passionate about it that um, uh, we're, we're still to this day, like, I'd, I'd walk around Edmonton, and they're just, thank you for the 80s, and thank you for the 90s, and thank you for the championships. And I can't say enough about how how grateful I am to just hear those words even to to this day. And part of of what they are grateful for, of course, is your offense. Um, The other end of that, as you've mentioned, is the defense. But enabling you to be the player that you were, Glenn, I believe were guys like Marty McSorley and Semenko. And we talk about them being Gretzky's bodyguards. But with your style, and I I look at the 85 uh, Cup Final, you're playing a Flyers team, five guys up over 100 penalty minutes on the year. You needed to have those, those insulators for you to be able to play the way that you found to be so effective. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the game back then. So, I mean, I mean, of course, you needed guys like that, especially if if you got or you know someone playing on your line. I mean, um, it, you know, it was there was a mixture of players to play with Wayne and Yari on a regular basis. Uh, there would be other players that would fill in with um, with Mark and I. Mark never really became was always a winger. Matty Hagman was our center iceman when we first started out, and um, Mark developed as a player as we went along. And it was more of a learned condition that you know he really stepped into his own in '83 and '84, where um, he started dominating the game and uh, was just the first real power forward, in my opinion, because. Um, with the speed and tenacity that Mark had, um, just gave everyone else on the on our team more room to uh, work and be creative on their own. The '87 Canada Cup had to have been something special for you, just given your uh, your affinity with the with the Maple Leaf and being able to represent your country. You get to play the Soviets and what went the whole distance in that series. You're doing it with your teammates, as you had in 1984. Describe to me that experience for you in the 87 Canada Cup. Well, it was a little different than the 84 Cup um, because it was a completely different team and... Um, you know, Keenan was the coach, uh, whereas in 84 was Islanders, Oilers, and we basically hated each other. Our, our, <laughs> the room was a little divided in 84 until Bobby Bourne stepped up and divided the Oilers. There was an Islander, then, a, then an Oiler, an Islander, then an Oiler, where it was the Oilers on one side and the Islanders on the other. But until that happened... We were losing uh, in those games and uh, in exhibition games. And, that, and, and after Bobby did that, we became a team. And um, in 87, instantly we became a team, but also um, we got to the final against the Russians. And then that's when it became, you know, you know, the best of three series. And, you know, losing the first game in Montreal and then winning the next two in Hamilton. And every score six five. If, if you can't write a better script than that um, in Hollywood, so 
Uh, I mean, the way it went uh, with the players that we had, uh, it was it, it was phenomenal. I mean, Howard Chuck and Dougie Gilmore. Um, you've got uh, you know Fierzy played unbelievable. I mean, six five every game, and a couple games went into overtime. So it was like one of the best series of all time. Did you ever pause in the midst of that and think this this is my summit series? This is what made me fall in love with hockey back in 1972. I'm sort of living that now in 1987. No, I kind of got that out of my system early um, to move forward when uh, the Russians would come over and play exhibition games and and uh, the Edmonton Oilers would play against them. They would do these tours across North America and play different teams, so um, I kind of got geared up for those games, and you know, defeating the Russians then was kind of my my Olympics. And then moving forward, when we beat them in the Canada Cups, it was even better. So um, I kind of relinquished um, the pain and agony that I had from 1980 when we lost to them six four, um, and we also lost to the Finns. But um, that I got rid of that. Uh, quite quickly after the first couple of years when we played them in exhibition games. Of the Cups that you won with the Oilers, Glenn, is there one in particular that stands out to you as as being perhaps the sweetest? Um, I think we finally learned how to play defense in um, 87, 88. <laughs> Those two Cups, would I would say, would be our best teams um, in our history. Um, we were really kind of behind the eight ball prior to that. Uh, we, we knew we could run and gun with any team and end up on top. Uh, but we really learned how to play uh, defense by the time uh, we were striding for the Cups in 87 and 88, in my opinion. So I think those were the my favorite years and uh, probably the most satisfying because we were a complete team. You won it again in 90, but you did it without the best player in the world. Uh, was that kind of bittersweet in some senses to be able to, you, you pulled it off and you guys did it once more with Mark Messier wearing the C, uh, Bill Ramford in between the pipes, but you did it without what I assume to be one of your good friends through uh, through the previous run. Well, we did it again in 94. So it was like, um, it was tough. Uh, that whole year was very difficult. I took it very hard and very personal. Um, there was your there was a death in our family, and um, Gretz was a big part of that whole championship. I think if we held on to him and um, the way Sather was bringing in certain players at certain times to fill those voids that we were lacking were um, instrumental. We could have gone on and won ten cups. No question about it, because I knew we had the confidence in the best team. And when we bowed out uh, after Gretz got traded the, down to L.A. in uh, 88, um, rebounding, basically regrouping, and uh, and bringing in certain players, uh, you know, to, to lead the charge was pretty uh, instrumental on showing how good of a hockey club the Edmonton Oilers were in 1990. 
Uh, we'll, we'll end the Oilers talk with this. You're sent to Toronto September 19th of 1991 along with Grant Fear, Craig Berube uh, as the Oilers organization looked to shift to a, a bit of a younger focus. Uh, when you found out about that, uh, maybe just put me put me inside your head and when you got the, the call that you were being traded away from this franchise. Well, I, I think we all come to uh, a realization that it is a business. And um, moving forward, um, I wanted to play on a different team. And uh, I think they felt the same way. They wanted to to, uh, go a different direction. So they started um, trading players away. And uh, going to Toronto was basically very difficult because you go from a dressing room that is the best in the game without a doubt uh, to, to the worst dressing room and with conflict and um, it took meetings every day to even try to turn that team around at that point in time and um, Cliff Fletcher had to make a huge 10 player deal to uh, to do that and that uh, it turned the club around and um, I think it's probably, you know, one of the best clubs that uh, ever played in 92-93 season. We could easily stretch this another half hour, Glenn, but I do want to uh, get your input here. It's the 31st annual Glenn Anderson Day of Golf coming up tomorrow. There's also a toast to Barry Stafford tonight, so why don't you give the listeners the rundown on the events that are coming up here uh, in the next couple of days? Well, um, tonight, uh, you know, uh, the significance of it. Your like cancer foundation is is for um, the toast for Barry. Barry's been part of our family forever, and um, he's a cancer survivor. And um, he's going to make a a speech tonight. And basically, the uh, our motto: um, what we can do today can save lives for tomorrow. And uh, it's very emotional. I think everyone has been touched by a friend or a family member some way, shape, or form. And um, I think it's, 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 we're making a difference. Uh, from the first time I started um, with uh, Dr. Jeff Thomas uh, up at the U of A, uh, we were injecting rats with tumors, and we're sol- we solved those issues back in the early 80s. And then um, kind of coming you know, 31 years is the, the cancer tournament, and we've raised over $15 million uh, towards cancer research, which has made a huge difference. And in the States right now, they've uh, they've found a cure for that, a type of cancer that uh, Barry Stafford um, has. It's just very expensive. So with all the work and all the proceeds that um, that we uh, we get and we, we, we do, and thank you for the community for for helping out in every shape, way, or form because there's so many charities out there. Um, from the deepest part of my heart, I thank you all for making your donations and uh, being part of a great program and a, a great success of, uh, of uh, finding a cure for cancer. And that's, so that's the thing tonight. At, uh, it starts at 5 o'clock, and then tomorrow is the day of golf out at the Derrick Golf and Country Club. And we've got a great committee, great board members, They've done a great job, and 
uh, organizing this, and I'm so proud to be part of it still 31 years later. Great. Thank you all. Glenn, it's a, it was a great opportunity for me to talk to you. I really appreciate your insight, and certainly I know myself and the community appreciate what you do with respect to your charity work. I hope we're able to connect soon, and good luck with the events over the next couple of days. Great. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. That is Hockey Hall of Famer Glenn Anderson. And uh, just, there, there's those on the text line who will complain about hearing about the 80s Oilers over and over and over again. Um, but it's always interesting to me to get the different perspectives. And Anderson being a, a unique guy just in general, uh, you're talking about somebody who made the Hockey Hall of Fame with a serious disdain for the game of hockey growing up. So you just, it's different stories coming out of this every time we get somebody new on the Legends of the Game series. Um Looking forward to next Wednesday as well. Bob will be back for that one, but I certainly hope you enjoyed today's. When we come back from a global news weather traffic update with Cassandra Jodwin, we're going to catch up with a conversation that our Reed Wilkins had with number three overall pick Kirby Dock at the most recent NHL entry draft. And we'll get back to more of your texts. I'm still wondering at 6.30, 6.30, who is your favorite athlete of all time and why? Brendan Escott with you. We'll be back on Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad.